0: Lord willing, uh, if we get far into chapter uh, 4 today, uh, we'll, we'll see that uh, people come uh, to the living and true God. I would like to read Micah chapter 3 uh, up to chapter 4 and verse 5. Uh, hopefully we'll get that far uh, as God directs Micah chapter 3. Uh, this uh, 3 verse 1 is the second of the three sections where he says here and uh, Chapter 6 verse 1 is the next one. So this is the second one. And I said hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel Is it not for you to know justice you who hate the good and love the evil? Who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones? Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time, because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision, And darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced, and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion, shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall be a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord in the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, and shall decide for strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Last week we looked at the the last few verses of uh, uh, chapter 3 as we closed. We saw a people that said, don't preach to us, and then they had their two-point sermon uh, that uh, things will not happen to them, and uh, the caricature of their preaching in verse 11 was uh, if, if somebody spoke to this uh, people about drinking wine, that's the message that they would listen to. We saw in verse 12, uh, God always has a restoration plan. He mentions the remnant again the ultimate gathering in the gospel, which we just read about in chapter four, and that spiritual blessings uh, are a priority. And uh, we'll see that more in new covenant passages. the, the, the uh, Not a physical blessing is a priority, but spiritual blessings are a priority. Then verse 13, used step-by-step war imagery. And we saw there that uh, it, it appears as if Uh, God is that man of war. He goes before as the captain of the enemies, not of uh, Israel, and actually leads them out into uh, uh, their trouble and their captivity. So as we come to chapter 3, like I said, this is the second uh, sermon, you might say. And uh, 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 chapter uh, 1, verse 1, 3, verse 1, and 6, verse 1, begin with saying, Hear, hear what... uh, God has to say. Uh, chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 is this grotesque picture of what the leaders do. They don't know justice and they hate good and they love evil. And uh, Micah says it's not even for you to know justice. Your, your mind is so twisted and perverted you can't even figure out uh, what justice is. It reminds me of uh, uh, the, our problems with justice in our day. And I don't want to talk about those verses. They literally are grotesque. So I just want to tell you that this horrible, grotesque picture is there to let us know that our sins are as horrible and as grotesque as that description. Uh, we don't look at sin in the right way. And God uses that picture and says, it's as if my pe- you're cannibalizing my people, cutting them into pieces. Uh, so that's that horrible picture. In chapter 5, uh, I mean, verse 5 through 8, come again to a condemnation of the prophets. And it strikes me that he keeps calling them prophets because they're just self-proclaimed prophets. They cannot, like Micah and Amos and Hosea and Joel, say, God called me to, to speak his word because the whole message is wrong. Uh... Uh, there and it strikes us too doesn't it that there have always been false prophets and, and even since the Lord Jesus Christ you would say well false prophets have proliferated look at what Jesus says about the end times people will be saying oh he's over there he's over there there's a prophet over there that's him over there uh, it just seems to uh, proliferate Jeremiah thirteen thirty two says behold I am against those who prophesy lying dreams. That's an excellent, excellent uh, words for false prophets. It's lying dreams. That's what they're thinking. Justice, God's anger is not going to come to us, but that is a lying dream. God doesn't have wrath. He accepts, accepts everybody. If you do your best, you'll go to heaven. That's a lying dream. God declares it and who tell them and lead my people astray. That's their ministry. Some some men stand in the pulpit every week and they don't realize that their ministry is leading God's people astray. The eyes they look at, the hearts and souls that they preach to, they don't even realize that they're leading people astray. God doesn't want you to be sick. God doesn't want you to be poor. God doesn't want you to have this. God doesn't want you to have that. Everything that you can be is already there. God gave it to you. You just have to realize it. You just have to think about it. That's not the gospel. And, and they tell people lying dreams. And Jeremiah says, they lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness. That's a good word for it too. It's reckless abandon to false teaching. When I did not send them or charge them, there's the difference. Nobody really said, you go, because you're not speaking God's word. If you were truly sent by God, you would truly speak God's word. We'll see that in verse 8. So they did not profit this people at all, declares Yahweh. Ezekiel 13.10 talks about this message of, of peace, peace, peace. And he says three times as if they smear the, the walls with whitewash. Oh, that makes it look better. I mean, I like a good coat of paint. Makes things look new and clean and fresh. But that's what Ezekiel says. Their, their, their uh, teaching is like a whitewash. Their ministry is to lead many people astray. Verse 5 talks about their message. They pronounce false priests. But notice uh, the message is based on money. Well, if you got some money, I'll preach good things about you. If you don't have money, well, that's, I'm not going to say anything good. But here comes the judgment crashing down in, in verse 6. Everything becomes night. There's no vision. There's darkness. There's no divination. They, they said they had light. They said, God has spoken to me and now I'm speaking to you, but that not, that's not true. And God says, it's going to be darkness to you. And he says it over and over. The sun is going to go down on them. The day is going to be black over them. They're going to truly be in the spiritual darkness uh, that they live in and that they promote, even though they think they have light. Verse 7, the seers will be disgraced. The diviners will be put to shame. They'll end up covering their lips because they have no answer from God. Would to God that he would... Shut the mouths of some of these false prophets but that but that's what's, that's what god's going to going to say that's what's going to happen to these people. Maybe one day somebody will say, Well weren't you that prophet that you said nothing bad was going to happen to us? How come we're going into exile well I, I, I didn't say that Cover your mouth, oh, I must have been wrong, just like these false prophets with trump's election. Well, there was unforeseen circumstances. God told me Trump would win the one lady said god took me to heaven to tell me personally that Trump would win. And then afterwards, well, there was unforeseen circumstances. There are no unforeseen circumstances to to Jehovah. There's just lying false prophets who can't own up to the fact that I'm a false prophet. I'm a liar. I say that I speak in God's name, but I really don't. Because I said he spoke to me, but he really didn't. So that brings us to verse 8. And here is Mike's confidence, and here is the confidence that we can have. As I went over this and looked at this, this is the confidence that I can have. This is the confidence that Russ can have. This is the confidence that Gary can have because, because our, our goal is to speak the truth to the people that we speak to. Our goal is to have God tell us what he wants us to say and tell the people exactly what God says. That's the idea. The goal is not to say, look, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry, God God won't judge us. Don't worry, you have all the potential you need right inside. You you just need to unleash it. God doesn't want you to be poor. He wants you to be rich. Those are all lying dreams. But look what Micah says. I am filled with power. Where Where is the source? He's not saying I have it. He's not saying uh, like the false prophets who, who teach that God wants you to have power. He wants you to have power over this and power over that. And you feel a cold coming on and you just say go away cold and it goes away. And that is a lying dream. His power comes from God because he knows that God called him to do what he's supposed to do. That's where it comes from. That's powerful. Who, who put me up here to do the Sunday school? Well, you were the only live person we could find. No, that's not true. Maybe that's, maybe that's the case, but, but the living God sent me to, and put me here. <coughs> and I have to have confidence in that. But, it, but it's also the burden of a responsibility, isn't it? Let not many of you be teachers. Why? Because everything that comes out of your mouth is going to be measured because you're speaking to others about serious things. You're speaking to others about eternal issues. But Micah has confidence. The power in the message is God's word spoken in truth. That's where the power is. It goes out. We don't know what happens every week. I don't know what happens to you. I don't know what happens to you. I don't know how you're affected. But what does God say? My word does what I tell it to do. It accomplishes my purposes. That's the idea. Look, he says he's filled with the spirit of the Lord. That's a confidence that we can have. Are are we here in sincerity? Are we here in integrity? Yes, then God can use you, work with you. Are we here to speak the truth, to honor God, to honor the Savior? Yes, well, then God can work with you. You can have confidence, a blessed confidence that God's spirit can use you because you're you're trying to be an instrument in the right way. Look what he says, filled with justice and might contrary to those who uh, pervert justice uh, and uh, they had strength in their own. And he's filled with justice and might because he is speaking the correct message. God has laws. God has rules. You've broken them. You deserve to be punished. God could either come to you in punishment or come to you in mercy. That's the message That's always been the message, and that's so simple and clear, but that is justice. Everybody will glorify God either in heaven, singing his praise, or in hell, but God will still be glorified because they'll be there because he executed justice perfectly and righteously. And Micah knows that, and he knows that he has to speak that because that's what God's justice is going to do. And then he says the purpose, to declare Jacob's transgression and Israel's sin. Oh, you say, oh, there we go. We we, we go right around back to sin again. We go right around to transgressions and wickedness and evil. But that's where we are. That's what we live in. That's what he lived in. That's what Isaiah lived in. We live in a world that's filled with idolatry. We live in a world that doesn't want to have God in their thoughts and in their minds. And people say, mm, I, "I don't know about that. I mean, maybe I got to change the message. We talked about it a number of times before. Well, people don't want to hear about sin. People don't want to hear that they've failed. People want to hear that they're successful. They want to hear how good they're doing, not how bad they're doing. Well, there's ten laws that God set up." And that's how everybody's life is going to be examined. And those laws are made so that you realize that you can't keep them. Why did God give laws that we couldn't keep? Because he had another plan. He has another way of glorifying himself. He has another way of showing perfect righteousness and perfect justice all at the same time. And that way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. That's perfect justice. That's perfect righteousness. But it's mercy because then I don't get what I deserve. He gets what I deserve in my place. And then 9 through 12, here comes another condemnation of the rulers. They they abuse the people. Then Micah talks about the prophets. And then another condemnation of the rulers, and it's the same format as verse 1. He talks about the heads of Jacob and the rulers of Israel. And we've talked about it over and over again, too, in the prophets. As the king goes, as the ruler goes, so goes the people. Uh, that, that became, uh, that becomes like a proverb. It, 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 if you build false worship... If you, like Jeroboam, build places and tell people to go there, they'll go there. But you, as their leader and their king, will will face greater judgment because you led your people astray. You, as a false prophet who led people astray, you'll face greater judgment. Look at the the sins, verse 9. They make the straight crooked. They detest justice. It's it's all what we it's all what we say t- today. People call evil good. Oh, oh, I don't, I don't talk to people about their sexuality. Whatever, it's not for me. But whatever they want to do, that's fine. They, they they detest justice. Oh well, you did this and you did that. Well, let's work out a deal. Let's work out a deal. You plead to doing this, and we'll just you know. There's bloodshed. They, they built Jerusalem with iniquity, iniquity and Zion with blood. Their, their, their heads, look at all the money involved. It reminds us of the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are a lover of monies. They, they, they execute judgment for a bribe. The priests teach for a price. Well, I've got today's lesson for you, but uh, give me $20 and I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll teach. That's the picture. The prophets ha- have divination for money. They practice wickedly and trust falsely. It's interesting. They lean on the Lord, it says. In all their hypocrisy, they still say, Oh no, I'm I'm, I'm put here by God. I'm a priest. Don't you know that? I'm a prophet. The Lord sent me. Jeremiah 7 verse 4 says, uh, They keep repeating the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, like it's it's something special. But but they don't really trust in the the God of the temple. And then verse 12 is a summary and a connection to uh, chapter four. Uh, Because of you, destruction is going to come. Zion is going to be plowed up. Jerusalem is going to be made uh, a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the house is just going to be a wooded height now. You know, some people say the different things about that, but I think the idea is that there's just going to be rubble all over the place. Uh, It's just going to be taken down and and torn down. Uh, But then we come to chapter 4 and uh, I'm calling this the unstoppable spread uh, of the gospel uh, because here's some uh, familiar words for us in chapter 4 and verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days. And uh, in our prophetic studies right away we say well this is going to be a breath of fresh air isn't it? It'll come to pass in the latter days well what's going to happen? We, We remember what Amos said we remember what Joel said we remember the passages the day of the Lord the day of the Lord the day of the Lord what's going to happen? In the latter days it's Yahweh's purposes but also Yahweh's timing. When are the latter days? What's going to happen? That's all in God's hands. The latter days are interpreted by the activities that will take place. God reveals to Daniel what will happen in the latter days. Uh, Joel prophesies, and it shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Peter in Acts says that prophecy is fulfilled right now, today. And... uh, Micah's words aren't spoken of that way. Nobody, nobody in the New Testament refers to this and says, oh, that's the fulfillment of this, but, uh, but th- this is the activity of God. And, and the people in there are, are fulfilled by the spread of the gospel because all these people are going to start coming to the Lord. Uh, Isaiah and Micah say the exact same thing. Uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 is is pretty much word for word as uh, uh, as the the beginning of Micah chapter 4. It'll be established in the mountains, nations will flow to it, uh, many people will say let's go and learn from God, that he can teach us that we'll walk in his paths, that God's law would go forth and his judgment would go forth and then and then this uh this time of peace, this laying down of arms and uh this active uh, disarmament, no more war. Isaiah uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Here, here is a, a, another uh, uh, part of it. It's, uh, it's that cohortative. It's let us, let us do something together. And Isaiah 2, verse 5 says, Let us walk in the light of the Lord, in the light of Yahweh. Let's do it together. These people gather together, and that's what they say. Let's do it together. Uh, Micah uh, 4, verse uh, 5. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That's his commitment. All these things are happening around us. What's our commitment? We will walk. The, The walking is important. We'll see that. Well, and then it says the last days. Hawker says, here is a chapter which looks into gospel days. And it is indeed full of blessed promises concerning Messiah's kingdom from beginning to end. And that's what what we're going to look at. That's what we're seeing. What's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes? What's going to happen when the Messiah comes? Eventually, every nation on the face of the earth is going to go there. That's what's going to happen. Trapp says, these last days are gospel days. Hebrews 1, verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There's there's nothing else coming. He's spoken to us by his son. We'll, we'll see the passage later on. Paul tells Athenians, after he walks them through what God is, and, and he says, but now there's a day that he's appointed every man everywhere should repent. Because it's the last days. The final revelation came. Jesus Christ. 1 Peter one twenty, He was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believing in God. Really in this passage there's a unanimous interpretation. This is the age of the gospel. This is the gospel age. And you remember what happens in the New Testament. You have this compressed eschatology, don't you? First John, he says, it's the last hour. That's all we got left. When is the day of the Lord come? Paul says, like a thief in the night. Nobody's going to know. When does Jesus say it's going to come? Nobody knows the time. Only the Father does. You might see some signs, but you really don't know. And people have been trying to look at signs and predict ever since. And we've joked about it before or mentioned it before, right? Who? Every prediction about the end of the world has been wrong so far. They all have that in common. Oh, I did all my study. Well, there it is. And then they go back and they re-predict and go back and re-predict. Some of these guys are on their second or third time. Oh, I didn't take into account, uh, you know. Hosea 3, 5. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king we talked about that before. The people, were, people were ready. It stirred something up, isn't it? The guy at the side of the road screamed out, Son of David, have mercy on me. They, they were looking for a Messiah. They thought about a Messiah. Maybe this is him. Who do people say that I am? We're not really sure. But somebody screamed out, Son of David. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. That's Hosea. This The same thing in the fear of the Lord. You say, well, how is that going to happen? He, he's been talking to his own people. He sends prophets. He does this. He does that. He does all these things. What's going to happen? Well, God's going God's to work in the hearts of people. It's interesting that in Acts, seven times in the gospel, uh, the word fear is mentioned. I... I took the, all I did was take Hosea's reference to the fear of the Lord and, and say, well, what happened in Acts? What happened when the, when the gospel started to expand? Some people were afraid. Some people truly had fear and said, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? In, in Acts 2.38, it said the people were cut to the heart they didn't wake up that day and say, I think I'll decide for Jesus today. No, the Holy Spirit worked in their heart. God's power was, was evident. The 3,000 people were saved. The writers keep saying it. At the end of the days, which always denotes the messianic error, when used by the prophets. It's talking about Christ. It's talking about the expansion of the gospel. And we can thank Yahweh for the good news of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for a Savior like the Lord Jesus Christ, who who truly is the Messiah. You you read passages like the beginning of chapter 3 and you say, that's horrible. That's grotesque. But we can thank God that even in the horrible, grotesque things of people's sin, that there is Christ the Messiah. That kingdom is going to be built. That kingdom will have no end. And no oppression, no hatred, no persecution against it will ever stop it. Now, the passage uses symbolic language to show the power of the gospel in action. And throughout chapter 3, we saw the whole thing. Uh, the, The prophets were going to be put into darkness. Jerusalem was going to be a heap and this and that and this. And here... It says it's going to be a mountain that gets bigger than any other mountain. That's how big it is. Well, that's the good news of the gospel. It's greater than anything that's come before. But the symbol, the picture is, it's just like this giant mountain that that rises up before people. And it's greater than anything else before. Chapter 3, verse 12. Zion is going to be plowed. Jerusalem is going to be a heap of ruins, but what happens when the gospel comes? It's as if the whole place became the biggest mountain ever, bigger than Mount Everest. The symbol is one of prosperity and expansion. The symbol shows a picture of God's house being lifted up. The exaltation is the messianic age and its global global results. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the highest blessing. You can't you can't get higher than that. Oh well, I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for this physical mountain to grow up and get bigger than any other mountain. Well, keep waiting. The Gospel is the greatest blessing. Spiritual blessings are the greatest blessing. Not physical. We're not waiting for roads to be built and temples to be built. We're not waiting for a mountain to become bigger than all the other mountains. It's a picture. It's a symbol. The symbolic heights are set up and the result, notice, is people shall flow to it. People shall flow to it. It's a, it's a picture of a stream. The New American Standard says people will stream to it. What a picture. Many people, and there will be a flow, a flow of humanity to, to this picture of Jerusalem. The New America the. English Standard Version Study Bible, and we'll just pick up on this, says, By a miraculous magnetism, a river of humanity will flow uphill to worship the one true God. The the, the picture is that Jerusalem was set on a hill. The picture is uh, uh, that they're painting is, it's landlocked. It's not on the ocean. Nothing can flow there. Nothing can flow there. It's landlocked. There's no stream or river that goes to Jerusalem. But no, the picture is there's a sea of humanity. There's a stream of humanity. There's a flow of humanity that's going there. And they're going uphill, the study Bible says. But see, this is expected by the Trinity. This is what the Trinity knows is going to happen. This is what Jesus knows is going to happen. John six thirty seven, All that the Father gives me... Will come to me. They all will. John 12:31, the end of Jesus's ministry. The rest of his ministry, he doesn't say anything except minister to the disciples, get arrested uh, and get crucified and raised. And the end of his ministry, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That's what's happening, brethren. That's the, that's the trinity working. That's Jesus in the confidence that even though there's rejection in his ministry, even though he he healed a man who was dead for 4 days and now they're looking to kill both of them, Jesus knows that if he's lifted up, he'll draw all nations to him. That's what's going to happen. And that's why he can turn around and tell the disciples, It's going to start in Jerusalem and go to Judea and go to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he tells them, go and preach to what? All nations. That's where it's going. That's where the gospel is headed. And Caiaphas, twisted around in his whole thing, they gather together the council. They say, oh, this is really bad. This is really, really bad because if Jesus keeps preaching and teaching, everybody's going to believe and they're going to come and take away our place, our position, and all this bad stuff's going to happen to us. And Caiaphas uses two two phrases and he actually says, you're stupid and you don't know anything. It's expedient for one man to die. All we got to do is kill this guy. But John says he spoke this because he was the priest. And John says he's going to die, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. That's what's going to happen. That's what the Trinity knows is going to happen. That's what's happening right here in Micah. Maybe the mountain isn't really bigger than every other mountain, but that's the picture, that's the symbol. Because right from Jerusalem, on that day, on Pentecost, that's where Jesus said it's going to start, and everybody has been flowing to the cross and flowing to the Christ ever since. It's the purpose of the Trinity. The, the definition says it's miraculous because only God's power can cause this to happen. How did 3,000 people get saved in one day? Oh, here's your decision card. But we're handing out decision cards. No. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that convicted them. That was their testimony. It was cut to our hearts. We were cut to our hearts by this message. Because we knew there was something special about Jesus. But it's just like you said, Peter. We crucified an innocent man. Peter says that's what God was determined to do right from the beginning. Because that's what the Trinity uh, said. So it was miraculous. But the, but the definition uses magnetism. Magnetism. Do you, do you remember that in your life? Do you remember when you were drawn to Christ? You say, what are you talking about? I was, a, I was a drunkard. I didn't even know how I got home a number of days. Probably more than I could count. I don't even know how this or that or this. I don't even remember days that I did this or that. How? How? How were you magnetized? How are you drawn? It's the same thing. And the Holy Spirit started to work. He he started to call and say, come to Christ, come to Christ. You've got to see your sin before it's too late. And brethren, for for all those people on that day, it's miraculous magnetism. For all those people that are flowing towards the gospel, it's miraculous magnetism. And then we can sing to him, why was I made to hear his voice? And enter all this room. Why? Why? because it's miraculous magnetism of the gospel. And that's what it's doing in all nations. Men, women, slaves, free, and Gentiles too. Incredible. All into one. And then it says it flows uphill. I I mentioned that there's this constant flowing. And then the amazing goal in the definition is to worship the one true God. This is totally contrary to every prophecy that we've looked at so far, and God keeps saying, "I'm the God, I'm your God, I'm this, I'm Jehovah, I'm this. I gave you this, I gave you that." Again, the people say, "No, no, no. We'd rather, we'd, we'd rather go after idols." There's only one true God. This shows that these people begin to worship in spirit and in truth, in spirit in the heart, not not physically, not by rote. Not by uh, gowns and and incense and all these other things. Not by physical things. They come to worship because their hearts are ready to worship and want to worship. And they worship in truth. And they worship in truth because they know the truth about themselves. And they know the truth about Christ. I'm a sinner. I have no hope. The law told me I'm going to die. I'm going to be judged by God. And the truth about Christ is he's the only Savior that can save my soul. They just come in spirit and in truth, true conversion. But God truly revealed it to them. And God made them understand. And they seek an opportunity uh, uh, to worship him. Uh, One of the writers quotes Psalm 118, verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Uh, That comes after the... The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief corner, right? That's marvelous in itself. We don't want Christ. We don't want Christ. We're not going to listen to his message. We don't even know where it came from. But he became the chief corner. That's marvelous. Uh, six times in the Gospels, the, the 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 word marvel. Eighteen times in the New Testament and Revelation the word marveled. Uh, Luke's gospel has has marveling uh, four times. Everybody was marveling. The, the, they saw things that were going on. They were, they were marveling. They marveled at, at what was happening. They marveled at his teaching. They, they, they marveled at the report of his resurrection. And, and Peter, first Peter says, he brought you out of darkness into what? Marvelous light. Marvelous light. You have to look up marvelous to see how marvelous it is. Marvelous light, that's what you were brought to in the gospel. Well, then we'll, we'll, we'll finish up. Uh, Trapp has six things about these people that, uh, uh, and their coming, and that's how we'll finish today. Uh, the metaphor of flowing imports the coming of people to Christ. It means that's the meaning of it. By the preaching of the gospel, he says, how do they come? The first way he comes, he says they come freely. And he refers to the psalm that, that people come freely in the day of God's power. When God's power acts on people, then they move. There's a marvelous magnetism, isn't there? Then he says they come swiftly. Why would you use a picture of a stream or something that's flowing? They're, they're coming swiftly to God. The third thing is they're coming plentifully because it's not singular. This mountain attracts everybody, not just one person. Peoples and nations, we'll see later on. Uh, it, they come jointly, and he picks up on verse 2. Let us go up. Let's all go up together. Let's go up and, and serve the Lord and hear what he has to say. Uh, the fifth thing he says is, zealously they come. Zealously. He says, you can't stop it. Their, their desires after God, this this." Miraculous magnetism is drawn them, and they zealously come. And then finally, they come constantly and continually. Now there's a nuance of difference in that. But you think about that. That's how people, that's how people come. That's how you came that day or in that time. All your weapons against God, all your hatred against God, you, you put them down. And you said, I got to get to Christ. And you went freely, swiftly, plentifully, jointly, zealously, and constantly and continually. And, th- and that's what you still want to do today. Because where is salvation? It's in Christ. Where is all your blessing? It's in God's covenant. The Trinity has planned this r- right from the beginning. And w- what a complete picture of God's marvelous work on the hearts of men. Uh, but uh, there's more marvelous things to come. And that's, that's where we'll stop for today. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for these things. We're thankful for the gospel of Christ. We're thankful that uh, we were stopped in our sins. Uh, many of us can point to a few incidents that, that brought everything to a halt in our wicked lives, and you showed and showered mercy upon us. We're thankful for those things. We ask you, Lord, even today, uh, that many people would continue to flow through the, to the waters of salvation and find rest and peace and comfort In the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his name we pray, amen.